host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Before we get started today, I just want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Ping Pong Payments, who's helping people save more time, money, and effort when it comes to paying their suppliers, manufacturers, or just receiving funds from your international marketplace that you're selling on. So what does that look like? How do I, how do, I do all that? Well, if you go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast, then you can find out all of our past episodes of Crossover Commerce, but also learn about how you can save time, money, and effort and put more margins back to your bottom line, which is what every business wants to do. Clearly in this day and age when, when there's so many fees that come out from Amazon, but also just paying absorbent fees when it comes to shipping and logistics, you can actually have a handle when it comes to managing your finances by paying out in localized currency or receiving in localized currency and not paying those exchange fees right away by Amazon. So what that can look like, go ahead and sign up for free today, like I said, and just go to the podcast page and sign up and check out all of our past episodes of education and people that we've brought on in this space. Again, this is episode 197. Uh, if you're a fan of the show or if you're just tuning in for the first time, welcome on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, or if you're listening to your uh, us on your favorite podcast destination, thank you for just tuning in and listening for a little bit about some of the great information we're going to be dropping for you today. That being said, again, 197, I'm, I'm counting down. I'm throwing us out in the ether. We're going to have a great show when it comes to 200. We started this podcast about a year and a half ago, and my, what a great ride it has been on for both myself, getting up almost every single day and talking to the great people like our guests that we're going to be talking about today. And the beautiful thing about podcasting is that you can do this and talk to people all around the world. So today I'm going to be going on that virtual plane ride over to uh, the UK. I'm going to say, I'm going to take a step in the dark uh, with our guest today, but uh, really excited to talk about, again, my favorite topic. Of a discussion on a day-to-day -day basis is innovation and what is happening currently in the space. How does a brand owner or entrepreneur really make their money? And a lot of it is going to be coming. Most of it, I should say, most of it coming is for their exits. And that didn't happen uh, for a lot of people until about two years or so ago. But businesses are popping up. We've seen lots of valuations. Um, last week, we talked about just numbers and reports. There's a, another fantastic, great report that came out even before then that was talking about trends and topics and just what the outlook looks like for 2022. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, what we learned in 2021, where we're going in 2022, give it an international flair, if you will. So I want to go on and bring on our guest. His name is Emmett uh, Kilduff of the Fortier Group. Emmett, thank you for hopping on and joining us on Crossover Commerce today. Thank you, Ryan. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So again, uh, I I know I said UK. Tell me again, where are you uh, tuning or joining me from today? Just across the Irish Sea in Ireland. In Ireland, see uh, Ireland technically again Northern Ireland technically part of UK, but that was my fault. I I I balked at the UK ness of just guessing, but that was my fault. So you're in Ireland uh, again. The fantastic. So uh, tell me about yourself a bit. If people haven't heard about you again, pre-show we were talking popped on the call before this you've been around since i've been I, you've been around for a long time but the company fortia group has been around may so of 2021 correct yes correct yes the fortia group which specializes in e-commerce exits has been live with uh working with clients since may of 2021 yeah gotcha so what tell me a little bit about that background why why is that a space that you and your team got into like uh give me give me some background of where we are today. So you're an M&A group that's helping people exit. Um, why why do it now? Like, why, why today? Why now? What was the space for you guys to say, this is the opportunity we need to seize this moment? Well, I, I'm, I'm a former investment banker with Morgan Stanley and Credit Suisse. Um, so I've always um, had an interest in corporate finance, investment banking, M&A. And I left Morgan Stanley back in 2012 to start a data startup called Eagle Alpha. Uh, which is going strong it's nine years old and it was through that that one of our new jersey based um clients um uh, <clears throat> happened to be best friends with uh, carlos cashman and um he actually invested in the first round of frazio um so i got an introduction to to carlos in the summer early summer 2010 before the word aggregator was frankly you know well known around the world um 
And having spoken to Carlos uh, at that time and having done a lot of time in M&A at Morgan Stanley, I thought, crikey, there's a really good opportunity to, to, to work with e-commerce entrepreneurs around the world to make sure they get fair deals. So I became executive chairman of my data business, Eagle Alpha, to free up time to become a CEO, co-founder of the Fortier Group. Um, so it was really, it was really start stemmed from that conversation with Carlos. I got really excited about this opportunity. Absolutely. Well, people coming in the space, they're trying to help people grow. So your expertise in in e-commerce that that came through just just looking at the space. You're a numbers guy, right? So it sounds like you were reviewing trends. You're reviewing what the space was doing. How's it been like transitioning from the finance side of the world almost to the e-commerce side of the world, where there's so many data points and comings and goings? Is it that much different or similar than working in the finance world at the end of the day, or is it is it pretty similar? In that capacity, I think I, look, I think Amazon is a, is just a big data problem or or, or challenge. Um, uh, I've always been data driven in my approach, and um, I I don't claim to be an e-commerce expert by any means. But one of my co-founders uh, is an e-commerce expert, so we're probably one of the few uh, corporate finance firms that has an in-house e-commerce expert on the team. Um, but it sort of brings me full circle back to my masters that I did in the year two thousand, which was in e-commerce. Um, uh, just as the tech boom was was coming to an end, um, I did a master's in e-commerce, which was probably one of the first of its kind globally. So I've always had an eye on e-commerce, even 21 years ago, um, and it's it's great that now I can combine my my M and A corporate finance skills with uh, that initial hunger and interest in e-commerce 21 years ago. Well, that well that's really fun, and uh, obviously e-commerce is learning every day when I bring people on the show, I'm learning something completely different than than what I went into it. Uh, what, what's been the biggest, uh, maybe not shock, but surprise to you of either good or bad that you said Amazon's a big data uh, conundrum. It feels like a lot of knots you have to untangle and, and completely just uh, sit there and just take time to understand where it's coming from it. Just let it come to you. What What's the biggest challenge or hurdle for yourself maybe to understand the space since joining uh, Fortia Group or co-founding, I should say, not joining it, uh, co-founding it? Well, I think the biggest shock has been, um, in terms of pure numbers, is the quantum of capital raised in the last you know, 15 months. Um, it's been mind-blowing, staggering. There aren't enough superlatives to describe what's happened. Um, <laughs> having been in corporate finance for two decades, I haven't seen anything like it. Um, you know, At least 83 aggregators have mobilized, and their Amazon aggregators as well as DTC aggregators. So call it 100 aggregators have mobilized outrageously quickly and, and raise serious funds, both on equity and credit to um, to do roller plays. Um, I don't think that's ever happened um, in, in, in corporate finance. So that's been the most sort of, the biggest shock or staggering stat that I've seen um, in, in, in the last year. Um, there are other specific to acquisitions, which we might get onto you know, later on in the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were talking pre-show just about the, mm the there's so many different companies that were coming on into the space and that will continue to happen you've seen if you're paying attention to news or they say news in my world my my world and news is very niche in terms of uh probably like yourself i'm a i'm a person who is where where the movement's happening right the acquisition's happening it might be big it might be small but we're here to pay attention so just kind of set the table for our listener and for people again if you're listening on facebook linkedin or youtube uh, Twitter, any of those platforms. Again, you can actually talk to us uh, by putting your questions or your thoughts in the comment section. Just go ahead and throw them in there uh, as we're watching and talking live, and we'll be able to answer those questions. So if you have questions for Emmett or myself, please feel free to do so. Um, Emmett, a couple of things that we, were, we we promised people is to look at back at 2021. Again, news-wise, I yeah. think that there there's going to be painting this picture, and I'll, I'll set the table for you. Um, we saw just exorbitant amount of growth. I think every single month for the for the whole 2021, every single month was a billion plus in raised in capital um, fundraising, whether it be debt or equity or a combination of both. There's all these companies that are raising at an exorbitant rate. Is that question number one? Sustainable for you and your team, and what you think that's happening coming from this? banking world or is this something that we're going to see taper off a little what is, what is the pace that we're 
on currently and do you think that will that will continue going into 2022 well, if we break that down into the maybe the number of aggregators and then the, and then the volume of funds that they that they raise, I think um, the number will continue to increase. Uh, however, there'll be less new starts that are sort of copycats of Thrasio. I think there'll be more niche aggregators, whether that's focused on a specific geography such as Latam, India, South Korea, or a specific category like like wellness. Um, I think it's I think it's probably too late now to start a, start a Me Too copycat of Thrasio, given how many there are and how, how, how far along their their, their cycle they are. Um, in terms of funding, I think that twelve billion number, uh, the, the the dollar number is going to increase significantly in twenty twenty two, because if 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 you look at the, the the pattern that Thrasio has raised in its journey over just a three year period, really, um, a lot of the other aggregators are following sim similar patterns and. Uh, the big credit funds, uh, the big equity firms are starting to take note of this space and will back uh, those uh, those aggregators that are doing well. Um, but of course, some 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 aggregators will likely go go bust or hit financial difficulty next year for various reasons. But the bigger successful ones that are focused on operations will continue to to raise uh, significant capital. So I think we'll get well past twenty billion um, uh, by the end of twenty twenty two. That's a that's a big number to hit, and I th I think I'm right there with you. I think that there's um, a lot to be had still. I think people are still finding their way, especially in the that one year anniversary. You saw a lot of people um, hitting their first acquisition milestones. A lot of brands are exiting, finishing out those payment uh, structures or uh, schedules and deals, and you're really starting to get your footing. A um, little bit of a side note on that. Do you think that? Although it's this is the space and this is the boom right now, do you think that the settings and situations are almost handicapping the growth potential of some of these businesses? And I mean by that is because there's such shortage in uh, in, in difficulties in supply chain manufacturing, and that's really the biggest focus, like you mentioned before, those people who are going to focus on that side of things are really going to stand out and be successful. Do you think that in that era, not that anyone could see this coming that is going to actually be the downfall to lots of different businesses because they didn't have um a very good solution in place whether it be their fault or not they you can't forecast a, a big consolidation or a big uh, cluster in the ports or anything like that and there's what, what's kind of your thoughts around that matter yeah, I think at the at the brand level, we've definitely seen um, a lot of margins, net margins, come down throughout 2021. Uh, a lot of a lot of individual brands were 20% plus in Q1, and are now closer to 15% for for the tough headwinds that you've mentioned there, Ryan. Um, I think at an aggregator level, um, that's quite sobering if you've got a big portfolio of, of companies and the margins are, are are going lower. But of course. Um, you know the 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 ultimately the the best operators uh, the best operators at these aggregators uh, will win, um, and so those that are set up well in terms of supply chain and technology and data, I think, will ultimately um, you know win become the best aggregators. It surprises me, being a data and tech guy, that uh, most of the aggregators are focused on acquisitions but not thinking about. How to in integrate, um, uh, you know, the brand management platform with so that PPC speaks to supply chain and, and so on. Um, uh, I think uh, firms like like Perch are doing some incredible work. Razor is doing a lot of really interesting work on, from a tech perspective, but most of them aren't. Um, and I think that will come back to haunt them in due course. Like to get to twenty percent net margins plus in the outer years, to be a really efficient uh, company, uh, they could they they need to be focused more on tech and data. So for, for people who hear that number, I hear it a lot too. And I just, I, I understand the reasons why 20% net margin is a, is a golden threshold that people want to hit. Why is that a number that sellers, brand owners, other businesses hear quite consistently in the aggregator world? Well, what's the, what's the significance of hitting 20% net margin for aggregators? Well, it's it's all it all comes back to cash flow. Um, you right. know, uh, twenty percent net margin business is a, is a super efficient business and um, great for cash flow, which allows these types of uh, roll up plays raise raise more credit. That's sort of one one use case. 
but obviously ultimately they want to get sold or do an IPO on, on NASDAQ or another exchange and, and uh, businesses with those types of margins um, you know, are very attractive and will, will attract very high multiples. That's just, a, as the numbers would say, that's a safe bet, if you will, uh, for a back of, lack of better term. Yeah, and look, it's interesting to see, um, and this surprised me that uh, when we did a survey of sellers uh, in November, um, 43% of those that had sold had margins in the 25 to 30%. That was quite surprising to me. I didn't think that many sellers would have margins that high. Um, you know, you, the rule of thumb when you speak to an aggregator in terms of their acquisition criteria is they'd like to see the second most important criteria is net margins above the threshold, and that's usually 20% net. Um, but to have 43% of those that sold having having 25 to 30%, that's 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 amazing margins, uh, especially throughout 2021. Um, so so brands are achieving you know some serious margins, which is great to see still. Yeah, I w well, in the capacity of what's going on with logistics and supply chain, do you think that hinders a lot of businesses and maybe slows down the overall nature of exits at the end of this year and uh, maybe early next year? Again, I want, I want to kind of paint the picture in terms of data that you guys have seen as well, because that's consistent nature. That's what a lot of people are uh, used to. If that threshold's not being met, maybe it was around 23%. Now they had to dip down because of cost reasons. Uh, PPC rise in costs and things like that to 18%, for example. There would be like a 5% dip. Is that is that going to hinder a lot of different brands or is there not that big of a jump or miss? Well, I, I think I think um, maybe look answer that in two ways. One is by looking at volume and two is by looking at valuation. Uh, from a valuation perspective, we believe that in 2021, there was approximately 300 to 400 Amazon FBA businesses sold. Uh, and we think that based on our survey of aggregators, there will be at least a thousand FBA exits next year. So, so the volume is going to increase. Um, okay. Specifically on that, uh, forty percent of aggregators say they'll do at least forty deals next year. So, um, the aggregators have raised this twelve billion dollars of capital. They have to they have to deploy it. So there'll be a lot more deals. So that so that from a demand side, the demand side goes up. Um, and um, from a seller perspective. Uh, for those that have seen margins come down from 20% to, to 15%, they will have to be more realistic on, on valuation multiples. That's, that's, that's the give here. Um, there, there's, there's, there's no two ways about it. If the margins are towards 15%, it could still be a great business and there might be an easy or low-hanging fruit ways to get back up to, from 15% to, to 20% plus, but um, the buyers won't be paying the same multiples that you would have seen in H1 this year, first half of this year. Absolutely. And that makes sense to me. And because of the, there's this gray space that I think a lot of aggregators don't play in. And, and, and this is my perception again. Uh, lovely. I, I think there's so many great operations out there. I think a lot of them are looking at the, the, those, those not vanity metrics, because I understand you and I both understand those are metrics that you have to do to make sure that you have meat on the bone, to make sure that you can pay back your uh, lenders, you, all, all those different things, those outside things. Yeah. Um, when you come into the market and you say there's gonna be a thousand deals done next year i start to break those down in different capacities that seems like the demand being so high the the math is going to work itself out naturally is because of you need to have brands to operate you need to have cash flow you need to have all these different things and for multiples to be at four to eight x right now of currently which what's trading um according to marketplace bulls data points such as yours um, and other brokerages out there, you look at those trading points and say, well, now is the right time to exit because I'm going to get the most money as well. But wh wh where's the trade-off really uh, for a seller if they are, if they're working with different brokers like yourself and they say, oh, they're going to give me three X or they're going to give me seven X, but seven X might become, might be sitting in a portfolio that may not be around because they're overpaying. They can't, they can't catch up in their funds and then it'd be passed on to somebody else. Do, do you see this, this, this snowball effect happening, starting uh, Emmett, or is it too early to tell still? I think I threw well, a lot at you. From a, <laughs> yeah, you know, you did. I, I need to unpack that a bit. I think specifically <laughs> on the last point, I think, um, you know, as, a, as an e-commerce entrepreneur, uh, typically uh, we see 25% of the consideration is deferred. 
so that's really important. Um, you want to go uh, and work with an aggregator who is going to be around um, uh, so that you can have a good chance of, of collecting as much of that deferred income, uh, deferred revenue uh, as possible. Um, um, there's been a few deals this year where it's been 100% upfront. Uh, it's definitely the exception rather than the rule. Um, but in some cases, uh, the entrepreneurs have got everything up front. Uh, but that's 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 it's not what we'd expect going into next year, especially with sort of supply chain issues and so on. Um, do, you, do you see more of those deals start to push more of the deferred on the back end then in that capacity? Or, I mean, I, I understand why that's that would be the case. Are you would as an aggregator to push that as a as a nature? But it, was that will be where trends go? Do you think? It's it's hard to tell. I think you know, but, you know, earnouts were were invented by buyers many decades ago, and they definitely favor buyers. Um, um, they can work for sellers if they're very transparent and and, and very clear uh, for all parties involved. Um, but in normal M and A outside of this space, in in the, in the bigger Wall Street space, most earnouts don't work, frankly. And there's been a lot of lawsuits about earnouts, and we don't want to, we don't want to go down that route. In, no, <laughs> in our, in our in our Amazon world. So look, clarity and simplicity uh, is, are the two key points from an earnout perspective. Um, I would expect, um, I'd expect it to say somewhere, somewhere around that it is, to be honest at the moment, which is about 25% deferred and 75% upfront is, is roughly, uh, seems, to, seems to make sense and fit well with both sides of the market at the moment. Is there creativity that's gonna come too, whether it be um, like, what, how I envision this is you want to be the most successful that you can possibly do. I know the brand owner, that 25% might be, it doesn't sound like a big percentage, but for a lot of sellers, if you're talking about millions of dollars or potentially more, um, that could be a lot in their, in their pocketbook. So with that being said, do you think that there's deals that will be an assisting of more hands-on approach of once that transition period is happening, maybe those transition periods elongate a little bit more in terms of advising, uh, being able to look in at the accounts. What, what do you think is that that nature as it evolves to make sure that everyone's hitting hitting their marks and everyone's playing friendly? But again, the aggregators are operating and they're doing their thing without having too much input. Yeah, look, I think in the normal world, earnouts are typically two to three years long uh, and management uh, are, are retained. Um, for a Shopify-based e-commerce business that has you know, a larger team than an Amazon business, uh, you would expect uh, two to three years as well. Um, if we go on to the Amazon FBA world, it's slightly different uh, compared to what, what I've seen over 20 years. And um, most of the founders are kept for probably sub three months. It's, it's a very short period of time. Um, that may change as uh, the pace of growth of the aggregators puts a lot of pressure on them. Um, it's hard for them to keep finding new great brand managers to run all these brands. Um, and I know you've talked about that topic on some of your other uh, episodes. And so we might see more brand managers retained and incentivized, sorry, founders retained and incentivized as brand managers. Specifically, for example, if an aggregator goes into a new vertical for the first time, if it's the first time aggregator XYZ does, does wellness, they might want to retain uh, that founder of the well, first wellness acquisition to uh, help them get smart in that category and then, you know, um, mentor, educate, uh, lead the category and lead other brand managers and, and over time so that they can then uh, take, take, take the lead. For, um, for operation and brand management, is that why a lot of aggregators in your mind want to stay away from direct to consumer, even though it is? potentially and i think again every every brand every business every product doesn't have to have a direct-to-consumer website or opportunity but is that where you think a lot of aggregators look towards the functionality of running on amazon because just almost more of the simplistic nature of it's easy to copy and paste drive traffic run ppc it's all within the house and it's easier to to just learn the ecosystem instead of I have to now develop a marketing team, I have to be creative, I have to build an audience. There's yeah. a little bit more uh, nuance to it, albeit you have all the other additional pros and cons, right? The the pros would be, I own my audience, I can tap into the recurring network, I have an actual brand, um, all of that, you might be able to keep more margins. Uh, what, yeah. What's kind of the, 
the breakdown, if you will, of do people still really want just Amazon or is that trending more the opposite direction? Well, if you look at the history of roll-up plays, which which these aggregators are, you can have a roll-up play of dry cleaning uh, shops. You can have roll-up plays of hairdressers, right? You can have roll-up plays of various things. This, in my view, is the simplest, uh, uh, relatively simplest roll-up play in the history of M and A, because um, the operational leverage that you get. <laughs> say, say again. I was going to say, you heard it here, folks. This is the oh, simplest MA yeah. world in the <laughs> play. In Re relatively simple. Uh, relatively simple. simple. We'll say relatively. It, 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 yeah, no, it, it, please don't get me wrong. It's, it's by no, no means easy. But, but, it's, but it's, it, it's the operational leverage uh, of these brands on Amazon is amazing. And there's there one or two person companies. You know, you don't get that with a, a DTC, Shopify based business. We could have 70 or 100 people, which brings huge integration issues. Um, so the MA. Integration is 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 a huge opportunity. So a lot of the aggregators start there first. Um, as you know, uh, to win an e-commerce, to have you know really good brands are ultimately omni-channel. They have to work across all the channels: Amazon, GTC, other marketplaces, and offline. And the aggregators themselves are are going to follow that same path if they want to be successful. So they're going to have they will start on Amazon because it's the simplest from an acquisition perspective. But they'll ultimately have to understand, um, uh, you know, Shopify-based businesses, WooCommerce, and 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 offline. Um, so, uh, and we've we've seen that the bigger aggregators are going to get there first. We we hosted two roundtable dinners with aggregators in November, and the bigger ones are already doing GTC acquisitions. Or, or yeah, yeah. Um, some of the smaller aggregators at the start of the year was interesting. They would say we want ninety percent to be Amazon FBA. Um, now that 90% has come down to sort of 60, 70%. So they're willing to accept more off Amazon business. Um, and that trend, that trend will continue. Um, you know, the, the, there are bigger businesses in the DTC world that there are on Amazon, right? You know, in terms of having to deploy the 12 billion we talked about earlier, um, it's, it can be quicker to deploy that buying it, you know, a hundred million dollar revenue DTC business. Yes, it comes with more complications. From an operational perspective, but um, uh, I think we'll see a lot more uh, big deals in DTC by aggregators next year. Well, in in the nature and the data that you know and the numbers you know, it only ma it makes sense that at the the rate at which acquisitions are happening, and again, that's the four to eight, four to eight x multiple that on average is being worked with. The only way you make math work is either you take something that is not on page one and you somehow elevate it into where there's this great opportunity. They just don't have the know, the know how there, there's a great product. You have to elevate it to page one and the eyeballs and the traffic and the sales will take over from there. So there's that margin from where it is now to where it could be the potential outlet. The other number that you have to work with or the situation you have to work with is, yeah, you have a top seller is in the number uh, I think this was even on your webinar, the number one selling pillow in um, on Amazon for five straight years. In my mind, that's a fantastic buy. That's a high floor, low ceiling acquisition if you're just talking about Amazon. How do I grow that at the multiple that I'm purchasing it? There's there's not much wiggle room because you can only you can't go up from one. There, there's only the yeah. top ranked sales. You can't influx traffic unless somehow you're artificially saying just more pillows. That's a high floor position be it. The way you grow that brand is either launching new products or uh, new skills underneath it, ch children products or new variations, or yeah. you diversify it and you put it in some D2C platform, you sell it in wholesale or retail. That's the only real way to grow at which you need to, to pay back again, the funds, the equity, all that fun stuff that you are now, you're on the clock for. Those are yeah. the only two really big avenues that you can do. So what, what do you think about that in terms of those capabilities? And people are like, no, we're not going to go in there yet. Well, well, um, I mean, for context, the aggregators are raising their funding rounds at about 30 to 40 times EBITDA, three zero to four zero, right? So uh, if, they're, if they're raising money at that rate, and they're buying companies at, at, at four to eight. Like there's there's an interesting um, arbitrage there. Um, um, 
the other important point for context is that DTC acquisitions typically trade at 10 to 12x. Um, and so Amazon acquisitions are trading at, let's call it four to eight X. Um, mm. But the smaller, the smaller brands are probably trading at maybe three, three to five, six. But the bigger brands should definitely, the bigger brands with great margins, great growth <clears throat> should be, should be trading at, at higher multiples. Um, there's, it, it, when we surveyed the buyers, um, there, there is a lot of low hanging fruit for them to do, given that these brands are, run by super entrepreneurs but they're you know jacks of all trades experts at none with all due respect right they don't have the resources of, of, of an aggregator and um, there's there's you know the, the first the first thing that these aggregators do is typically put it onto all the amazon marketplaces so if it's just in the states let's bring it on to the uk and other countries that that's an easy win for a, an aggregator with resource um the other is brand optimizations uh it was a top three way that they they, they seek to increase value which is you know listing optimizations better amazon uh, uh, content and um, better ppc uh, again a lot of the ppc is run by the entrepreneurs uh, or in some cases it's an agency but it doesn't have the sophisticated or data-driven approach of an aggregator um, and the third which we've slightly touched on already is supply chain management right um, whether it's choosing better suppliers diversifying suppliers maybe moving a supplier from china to to the western world to to to, to reduce risks like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that um, that good operational teams can make those valuations ultimately look like like good value. Um, um, but look, it's easy to spend money, right? It's easy to raise. Well, it's relatively easy to raise money. It's certainly easy to spend it. And I was gonna say, give um, me a checkbook. I'll, I'll start writing checks. <laughs> you know, we can buy businesses. It's easy to buy them. The hard part is the operations and it's to grow it. Yeah, all these firms. Yeah, they'll get judged on that, and um, um, uh, you know, we, we interestingly are working for a credit fund at the moment that's that's lending to aggregators, and they're asking us to do deep dives into brands uh, that's owned by aggregators to 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 give a quantitative score as to what we think of the brands. Have they done? How good is a brand? Has the aggregator done a good job at growing the brand? Where's the future growth? And that's been really uh, enlightening and interesting to. to work to do that'd be interesting to see like uh almost like a future forecast modeling of is this is this look like a good investment because ultimately again these are investments into a company can they take it and grow what's that growth component again what's the reasoning behind the uh that acquisition is it to to have that stable income not a bad thing but a lot of it is under the nature of growth potential and mm -hmm. again People are in the MA world. They're a lot smarter than myself. And uh, so I'm going to put you in that world of they can see the numbers. Ultimately, how many, how many we're talking about? We, we talked about, I like asking this question of the ones that you're working with on a, you know, day to day, month to month, week to week basis, or whatever that looks like. Isn't there a guarantee that you're going to see this consolidation at some point? We, we kind of all see it coming. There's going to be, a misstep or two by one of them they just can't operate it's just not a functionality yeah. of which they can do so they're either going to have to sell off brands they're going to sell off their entire portfolio we even just saw the acquisition this past week um also uh, making the first acquisition of a smaller aggregator again yeah. i'm sure that there's more that haven't been announced yet so I'm, I'm just saying that's been publicly announced uh disclaimer right there for the yeah. people listening to this as of december 14th in 2021 the acquisition of micro aggregators running five brands or so in different parts of the world, we're going to start to see that play. I'm assuming, correct? Like both the consolidation, but then also the acquisition of other players who are operating and running brands. Yeah, I think you know this whole team. The consolidators will get consolidated. Is you know it's really interesting. Um, I think it'll start with uh, more distressed plays, as you're alluding to. Um, with, with smaller aggregators who can't either uh, get the performance they want from the brands or can't raise further funding and therefore you know, come, come to a, a dead end. Um, and we're starting to see that. We've seen uh, uh, Berlin Brands Group do an acquihire of orange um, uh, brands in Germany. We've seen, as you mentioned, Old Sam. Uh, we've acted uh, for a small aggregator uh, in a distressed situation as well. So the distress will come, will, is coming now. 
and we'll build as we go into next year. If interest rates go up, uh, which they will at some point, uh, that'll also um, maybe fast track the distressed uh, conversations. Um, but I think more interestingly then is the real, the exciting consolidation of, of, of high quality aggregators by the bigger aggregators. Um, I, I think that'll start to come maybe towards the end of next year. Um, we, I think the VCs and the investors that have invested into aggregators, most of them are still only a year old or just over a year old. So it's probably too early for them to seek to um, extract um, the return from, 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 from those businesses. Um, but I think in one to two years, that'll be really interesting. Um, and I think um, the first IPO will hopefully happen at next, in 2022, probably towards the end of 2022. Um, the share price of um, Ethereum uh, isn't helpful for our space at the moment. Um, you know, it, it really was quite high towards uh, the early earlier Q1 2021, um, but it's come down significantly. So that 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 doesn't help as a comparable. Um, it's not necessarily a pure aggregator, as you know. It started off as creating its own brands and then sort of, uh, uh, sought to become an aggregator or is seeking to become an aggregator. So mm -hmm. when that stabilizes, when more, when, when maybe uh, you know a Thrasio or a Perch comes to market, I think that will um, fast track this sort of consolidation play. So what's the what's the missing component right now? What is <clears throat> where, where are the weak points right now that this can all come crashing down a house of cards, if you will. We we're all just blind to it, and maybe it's a uh, uh, is it too big now? Is it too fast happening that? It, it it's just going to nat naturally still happen. All all these projections that we're pr projections that we're all having still going to happen, or are we going to take off our rose colored glasses here in mid twenty twenty two and realize we've all made a terrible mistake and we we see the the you know the the shaky nature of the ground? I I, I clearly think one thing, but I I would assume you would think the same thing. But is there a significant weak point in in the space right now, and how how does that get mitigated? Um, I think, uh, well, if we look at the deal flow, I think given the quantum of aggregators there are now, uh, if I was an aggregator, I'd be, you know, it gets tougher and tougher to find the real diamonds, to find the real, really great, great brands to acquire. Um, I think the market's probably, the total addressable market of Amazon brands is probably smaller than one thinks. Um, you know, we, we, uh, when we had uh, two dinners with or two roundtable dinners with aggregators recently, um, although there's millions of Amazon brands, we think the addressable market is 40,000 to 50,000 around the world uh, that are wor worth considering from an MA perspective. Right. So that's a that's that's a relatively it's a good number, but it's not massive. Clearly, it's growing all the time. But if you take, say, um, Germany, as just one case in point, uh, that number comes down to three, three to four thousand targets, with over a million euros in revenue. Um, but actually, if we look at real targets, the number comes back down to maybe towards a thousand. By real, I mean like low SKUs, great margins, great revenue growth, and so forth. So um, you do have um, there's a race here for the aggregators to find the best brands and. Um, that's definitely, you know, a risk, um, uh, a risk that needs to be, uh, you know, considered from an aggregation perspective. The second risk is the headwinds. Um, you know, if we sat here last year, we we wouldn't have forecasted some of the headwinds that came to to e-commerce sellers in general, and specifically, you know, it's tough for Amazon sellers. You know, whether that's supply chain or rising PPC costs. Um, so a lot of those are outside of, of our control as an industry to sort of macro type drivers and. That makes it harder and harder to you know get towards that 20 percent net margin so that that that's a risk if margins keep going down it's going to be tougher for sellers to get the valuations they want and ultimately for aggregators to get to that the, the magic 20 percent net contribution number but uh, everything i said isn't new it's all it's it's all right. fairly, fairly well known it's not like there's a shock risk uh, you know that's that's you know you know that is the ult ultimate you know barrier i think i think um I think you know we've said at the top of the call. I think there'll be at least twenty billion dollar raised. That's a, that's a lot of smart money coming into the space. You can see that there's a lot of good deals to be done and and, and uh, uh, you know uh, upside to be obtained post these acquisitions. I think uh, because 
I, I, I think more people will look to do off Amazon deals. Um, there's some aggregators actually already set up that are specifically looking at um, other marketplaces outside of Amazon um, uh, here, here, here in Europe, for example. Um, there's, there's in our database, there's 19 aggregators who look at DTC only brands, right? So I think, I think you'll see, you'll see, you know, aggregators do more than than uh, solely focus on Amazon. Right. And in, in the market, that, that's a hard place to actually stand out and, and find people. So just because of the nature of brands are constantly trying to, there's different markets, there's different areas. Again, there's different play, ways, ways to play. Does it ever make sense? Can it be as simple as to, instead of looking outward, maybe look inward at the team and say, why don't we just incubate our own brands and maybe niche down? Maybe we get mm-hmm. really good at home and garden. We get really good at baby or, um, clothing or something like that. And we, we start to acquire, but we also sell off our brands almost like a trade aspect of we're going to be the aggregator for X. Is, does it make sense to make a move in that capacity? Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the bigger ag- aggregators have set up incubation um, uh, approaches or teams. Um, it, it takes longer to get to, to, to create equity value, right? Creating all these brands, it's, 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 it's easier, it's quicker to do it via M&A, which is, which is you know, clearly the main focus of all the aggregators, at least initially. Um, having done IPOs for Morgan Stanley for many years, I think um, when you go public, having an organic growth story as well as an inorganic growth story is, is, is important to the overall uh, pitch to Wall Street. So I think you'll see uh, those bigger firms that are looking to go public are looking ultimately to exit. We'll, we'll do more incubation. Um, some of the conversations we're having at the moment around incubation are fascinating. Um, we're speaking to a lot of uh, people that own Amazon agencies that want to set up an incubation machine, which is what we call them, or uh, folks that have sold a seven or eight figure Amazon business. Instead of setting up one new brand, they're setting up an incubation machine. Uh, so a great example is um, John Lee. Uh, we sold BeLive for John, a gummy supplements business in August, and he's now set up something called Spartan Brands. He already has one brand underway and wants to, to build five or six really big brands and then sell that incubator to to an aggregator or a private equity firm, you know, in three to five years time for a, you know, 100 million, 200 million plus type type uh, type exit fee. Um, so yes, in fact, tomorrow we're having the first um, roundtable for incubators uh, to to brainstorm and think about how does one set one up, how does one structure it, how does one think about the exit in mind three years out. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I, I think um, I think aggregators will want to buy these incubators um, in two to three years' time. I think if you look back at the last twelve months, aggregator was the main word or topic du jour. I yep. think if you go forward, in- incubators is 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 going to be um, a key a key word um, in the next twelve months. I had that same conversation with someone yesterday. I said it, it only makes sense um, with the smart people in the space. There's some people who are just very talented finding a niche, yeah. building something that's going to work and provide a good result, and then building it. And again, acquisition it is it's crazy to think that within less than being successful within a year. Some acquisitions are happening or even being talked about of a brand or a product opportunity. Again, you want to catch it before it takes off and all of a sudden becomes way, um, you know, to, you know, the, the profits and in, in you're not garnering and you're not capturing all of that. So you want to catch it yeah. before it becomes really popular. So it's finding that that incubation space, I think, would be really fascinating, too. Is there anything else, Emmett, what, while I have you in the last couple of minutes or so of the podcast, what... What's, what's kind of that, if you had to put on your fortune teller, again, no banker wants to say I'm a great fortune teller, but you follow the money, right? Following the money is in following data is something I always live by. So if you're following money, you're looking at some major raises, you're looking at some major companies. Again, people have access to this capital. It's just when they decide to execute it, you're going to yeah. follow the money and follow the trends into 2022. What are my three main takeaways from your report and if I'm a brand, I need to pay attention to as well. Well, I think um, we will summarize them succinctly, Ryan, in uh, addition to our exit guide that we'll publish in January. Uh, So we published a a sort of 70 page exit guide in June this year. And in the next iteration, we'll go into this in a bit more detail. Um, But I think um, 
Uh, right now, my thoughts would be deal sizes are going to increase significantly. Uh, the aggregators are under serious pressure to deploy that capital. They can't do it at $1 million acquisitions. Just, it's just it's just not scalable, right? So um, uh, we've seen a lot of aggregators have their minimum threshold of revenue go from like 1 million to 3 to 4 million, which means that a lot of smaller brands will have to wait longer to exit. Um, so that's that's point number one. I think valuations, there'll be a divergence of valuations and the really high quality brands uh, will we'll get valuations more towards you know six to eight x, uh, but the brands that have struggled and gone towards fifteen percent margins will 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 stay in valuations you know that we've seen this year even probably two to four, so there'll be a big divergence. You know the really high quality brands will 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 win out and get you know better valuations, um, and I think um, uh, from an aggregation perspective, I think as we've touched on. Um, uh, some of these aggregators will go bust. So the brands need to be very careful that they've done due diligence on the aggregators that could ultimately own their baby, own their brand, and be responsible for giving them an earnout. And um, as a firm that's very much plugged into the space, we're, we're able to give advice to the sellers as to who they should partner with. Um, so I think that'll become more critical as we go into next year. Um, the highest... You know, entrepreneurs get excited with LOIs and actually in our survey, one of the things that shocked me, which I haven't mentioned, Ryan, was that um, uh, 30%, 36% only received one LOI. Um, and that means that a lot of entrepreneurs are going direct. Um, that's crazy from an M&A perspective. You, you I was going to say, that doesn't seem right. That's <laughs> not right. You know, to get the best value deal, you need to run a proper formal auction process and have lots more people submit bids. But the devil's in the detail, right? So you you could have a small new aggregator offer a higher sticker price, but of course um, their deferred component uh, uh, might never come good because the aggregator might have gone bust. But uh, the final thing I'd say is, you know, the devil's in the detail across the terms anyway, no matter who it's from. Uh, don't always go for the highest price. It doesn't always mean it's the best deal um, for, for a whole variety of reasons. Um, and, and, and um, yeah, look, we're here to help at the Fortier Group. We love we love helping uh, make e-commerce entrepreneurs millionaires and uh, move on to the next uh, the next play. I was going to say for for you and the team there, what what's the plan for going into? Obviously, we're in the midst of the holidays. We have less than what we say twelve days until Christmas. What's the? You guys have had some exciting exits under your belt to help people facilitate. Like you said, I can't believe 30, you said 30. So again, the statistic I heard is 36% are only rec are receiving one LOI. Was that the statistic you Correct. said? Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, 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 that's my, uh, is that an education thing? Emmett, is that, is that an education thing where all I hear is, Hey, come work with us. We're going to work with you. Don't go through broker XYZ. Is that an education thing? Or is that just a ignorance is bliss? I don't, I'm not aware of the situation they find me. We're going to walk this process and they handhold them through the process and they exit, they see the number and they're like, looks good to me. Yeah, look, I think it's all of the above. I mean, if you're a big company in the States, uh, you know, selling on Wall Street, you hire an advisor and you run a competitive auction. And that's happened for decades, 100 years. That's been the process. And I think we do need to educate Amazon entrepreneurs and e-commerce entrepreneurs uh, that hiring an advisor is not a bad thing. In fact, the stats show there's a study by the University of Alabama which showed that if you hire a good advisor, they can get up to 25% more valuation. Um, another 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 stat that shocked me, Ryan, was that 43% didn't have a lawyer review the LOI, uh, let alone let alone a corporate finance firm or an advisor. And you know, so that's that's crazy. This is your big payday, and you know, you should be planning it really far ahead and do it right. Um, as we look to next year. What really excites me is um, we have a lot of mandates for exits in 2022, but also 2023. And we really like working with entrepreneurs really far out. I did the same with IPOs at Morgan Stanley. Um, so we, we build roadmaps to create as much shareholder value as possible over, over a sensible period of time. And so I think you know the, the listeners that want to exit in 22 or 23 should start preparing now. Uh, don't 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 you know have a first conversation with that buyer, whether it's an aggregator or a private equity firm, and then sell, sign an LOI in a few days' time. That's crazy, and that that's not sensible. I just don't I don't understand it. And yes, there are lots of education to be needed. You know, one should take their time. You know, uh, fail to prepare, prepare to fail.
I love that. And of course, uh, if people are curious and they want to learn more information, Emmett, what's the best way to reach out with you or the team? How do how do they connect and engage with you? If all this sounds amazing and uh, they want they want to work with you or just learn more information. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, please email exits at the Fortia group.com, T-H-E-F-O-R-T-I-A group.com, or email me direct at emmet, E-M-M-E-T-T dot killduff, K-I-L-D-U-F-F for Freddie at the Fortia group.com. Very happy to have um, an exploratory conversation about valuation with any of the, of the brands uh, or potential incubation machines that are, um, that are, are uh, looking to come to market next year. I love that there are people in the space that are seeing the the ecosystem the same way I am. So it's just a pat on my back that I that I'm not crazy and I'm the, not spewing uh, nonsense out here on my podcast. So no, it's fantastic. Emmett, thank you so much for hopping on today. I can't wait to see. You said more reports are coming, more data is coming. I'm assuming the team is going to be busy at a lot of events and you know, barring anything crazy happen in the world, which we've seen enough of that in the last two years or so, two years plus. Um, we'll be seeing you on the road too. So I can't wait to meet in person and, and go from there. But thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Yeah, Ryan, thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you yeah. ever again, everyone else who is hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Again, this is episode 197, which math serves me correctly. That's three away from our big 200 episode. Again, 200 episode planning to do on, let me throw up the graphic here if I can real quick. Um, Awesome new holiday edition. We're going to be doing 200, a holiday edition on December 20th, 2021. Um, still being planned, having lots of people um, sending invitations out shortly. It's like sending my Christmas cards to all my friends in the e-commerce space of who can attend my holiday party virtually online in the podcast. We're going to have a lot of big things coming up, but tomorrow I'm really excited to talk about a little more marketing. We're going to shift back to the marketing side of things. I'm excited to bring on Gracie Rybeck of Deal Cheats. She is actually in a very a big influencer in influencer marketing, TikTok and Amazon Live. Again, a lot of trends that brands are not just tapping into or haven't tapped into yet that are helping fuel their growth and moving forward. So we're going to be talking about a lot of the things that she's seeing on the influencer marketing side, helping brands launch products, helping them grow business and driving revenue. So that being said, I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce, my corner of the internet. We're bringing the best and brightest in Amazon and e-commerce space. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.